And now, it's time for Lawyers for Jesus Radio, lighting our path through law. A show about faith in the law and in the marketplace. Featuring the partners from the law firm Mock & Baker. Located in downtown Chicago, Mock & Baker is nationally known for defending freedom and protecting the rights of the broken and religiously oppressed. And now, Lawyers for Jesus. Good afternoon. Welcome to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Stair. I'm an attorney and partner at the law firm of Mock & Baker in Chicago. We are Christian attorneys that focus on serving the body of Christ with its legal needs. We do everything from adoption to estate planning, nonprofit administration, to religious freedom work across the country. You can find out more about us by going to maukbaker.com, M-A-U-C-K-B-A-K-E-R.com, or call us, 312-726-1243. Today, I am joined by two special guests. The first, my friend and fellow attorney, Michelle Zier. Good to have you, Michelle. Good to be here, Noel. Uh, Michelle and I have the distinct pleasure and honor uh, to welcome our other guest, Dr. Nabil Qureshi, a global speaker with Ravi Zacharias International Ministries and New York Times bestselling author of three incredibly important and mm-hmm. timely books, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, A Devout Muslim Encounters Christianity, uh, and the newly released Answering Jihad, A Better Way Forward, and his other book, No God But One, Allah or Jesus. Uh, Dr. Qureshi, it's great to have you. Oh, it's a privilege. Thank you so much. Well, I know I've read all your books, and my firm uh, went through uh, Seeking Allah together. Uh, it's transformative work for our firm. It helped us understand uh, better uh, our Muslim community in the United States. Uh, in some sense, it provided us a catechism, uh, albeit concise, of Islam. It helped us understand how to view uh our, our Muslim brothers and sisters. And so if you would just give a little bit of your background, you know, you grew up in a loving American Muslim home. So how would you describe that? Yeah, for me as an American Muslim, uh, it was a really loving environment. My parents uh, were immigrants to the United States, and they gave my sister and me everything that they possibly could, every advantage they could. Uh, they taught us how to pray uh, the five daily prayers from a very young age. They taught us how to recite the Quranic scriptures in Arabic, um, such that I had read the entire Quran by the age of five in Arabic. Uh, so it was a devout Islamic practice, uh, but in a very loving home. And we, we were raised being told that Islam was a religion of peace. And given the people that were around us and the way we were raised, we truly did believe that. Sure. So, so why is Islam referred to as a religion of peace? It's become a slogan uh, in the past uh, hundred years or so. It actually, that phrase never existed, uh, or at least we can't find it in any literature before that. It certainly doesn't exist in the Quran or in the, in the traditions about Muhammad, the Hadith literature. So really, it's a product of the 20th century, and I think mm-hmm. it has a lot to do with the West encountering Islam, and some to do with polemics, some to do with politics. Uh, I think also it has to do with, uh, in the West, people are worried that uh, if Islam is criticized for being violent, then Muslims would be uh, assumed to be violent. And so to prevent that from happening, we hear the slogan, Islam is a religion of peace. A lot of things coalescing into that result. Hmm. How do you separate the two? How, how do you make that uh, standard line? Because I think in many respects we have a similar dynamic that occurs with, with Christian, Christianity and then what the Bible says. You know, so I, 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 you know, walk us through that. How do we separate that with in terms of our Muslim neighbor and what 
the Quran teaches. Yeah, you're absolutely right. When it comes to any religious system, what the people, the followers of that religion do should not reflect directly upon the religion itself, uh, because people might be following it in different ways, or they might have their own personal agendas. And so, for example, when we, when we see pastors who succumb to moral failures, that doesn't reflect on Christianity. Uh, so what about Islam, then? Uh, what about Muslims? Uh, the fact of the matter is, Muslims are people, and Islam is a religion, or it's a religio-political legal system, whatever you want to call it. The system is Islam, the people are Muslims. And so from uh, the perspective of a Christian, then, uh, we're taught to see all humans as image-bearers of God. Mm. We're supposed to see, uh, from my perspective anyway, Christians have different views on this, but I think that uh, Jesus died for Muslims, um, uh, for everyone in the world. Uh, anyone who would reach out to, uh, anyone who would accept him uh, would be saved. And so Jesus died for Muslims too. And it's his love for them that should drive us to love them as well. Yes, and I think uh, maybe you can explain a little bit of your own testimony, uh, and you do so, and I don't want to, I want everybody to go buy your book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus, because it gives that story of how, you know, of how you came to know the truth of who Jesus is and the reliability of Scripture. So maybe unpack a little bit about that. So my story is uh, grounded in the fact that as an American Muslim, I had been taught that my identity was one that was centered around my Islamic faith. So coming to the West, my parents uh, had these notions about Christianity, uh, that uh, it was a immoral religion, that it was a polytheistic religion, um, and, and these kinds of things were not clarified because Christians never actually reached out to my parents. Um, if, if some Christian had reached out and invited my parents into their homes, perhaps my parents would have had a different view. Uh, of Christianity, but as it was, they came with their preconceived notions, and so they protected me from Christianity, from the immorality of the West that they imputed to Christianity. They protected me from that by teaching me that Islam was the true religion, uh, that Muhammad was the last prophet, that the Quran is the word of Allah, and they gave me reasons to believe that. At the same time, they gave me reasons to believe that Christianity was false that the Trinity was, uh, was, was nonsense, that Jesus' death on the cross couldn't pay for anyone's sins, that Jesus never claimed to be God in the first place, and that the Bible was unreliable. So it was when I was challenging a Christian friend of mine with these arguments uh, that I had used on many Christians before, many of whom were unable to respond. There was one particular friend who was able to respond, and so we engaged in dialogue over the course of years. And after a few years, I realized that the evidence for Christianity, and it really was the historical evidence for Christianity, versus the historical evidence for Islam, uh, that I realized that Christianity has an amazingly strong case, whereas Islam, objectively speaking, did not. And so it was at that point that uh, I took my search to God, and I asked God to lead me. And for many Muslims, that, that means asking for a dream. And after, after a vision and three dreams, uh, the Lord led me to read the scriptures, and it was in the pages of the Gospel of Matthew that uh, I encountered the Lord and gave my life to Christ. Wow. This is Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett of the law firm Malk and Baker. Uh, Michelle Zier and I are, are, have the privilege of speaking with Dr. Nabil Qureshi, uh, author of recently released book, Answering Jihad, A Better Way Forward. Uh, we've got a lot to get into. I appreciate that. It is just wonderful. I mean, as lawyers, I think we can really uh, resonate with your pursuit of truth. And in many respects, my, my law partner, John Malk, always says, I pursue truth. Jesus said he was true. And if he's not true, 
I don't need to follow Jesus either. And I think that is something that all of us, uh, we all have beliefs that uh, we have not examined. And I think that's one of the other things I find instructive about your work is that you really encourage people of all faiths to examine whatever beliefs you haven't examined yet, because you may be believing something that's really simply a result of how you were raised or tradition, and it may not be the truth. Uh, so thank you for, for that. Um, I'm going to turn it over to Michelle, and she's going to give a little preface of what's going on at, at Wheaton College, as you are well aware, and as you address in your book. And uh, let's spend some time. Uh, we've got about three and a half minutes before we go up to a break about that question, you know. And so, Michelle, do you want to kind of preface what's going on at Wheaton? Yes. Um, Wheaton College, which is only about 15 minutes from where we live, um, is a highly affiliated evangelical institution. I have many friends and professors that I know that have went there, and it has rocked the country um, with a uh, professor who, attempting to show Love and solidarity to Muslims stated in a public Facebook post that uh, Christians and Muslims worship the same God, and it sparked huge controversy all over. It has divided friendships, and um, and the world is watching how we respond. And, um, Nabil, I just love how you have such a fervor for truth, but also for showing love to people and um, the importance of showing solidarity with Muslims. But there's also danger in getting our theology wrong about God. And so I so appreciated your response um, on the RZIM blog. And can you just talk about that a little bit for us? Yeah, it's such a complicated question. Um, I appreciate uh, the heart behind you asking. Uh, It's because um, monotheism, uh, both Islam and Christianity, are both monotheistic faiths. And so some people say, well, you both believe in monotheism. How is it that one God might not be the same as the other? It's so complicated. And Mm -hmm. even when I became a Christian. Um, for the first many years, actually about seven years after I became a Christian, I still believed that Muslims and Christians worshipped the same God, but that Muslims didn't quite understand who he was, that they got the details incorrectly. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact of the matter is, though, I, after I've considered this more uh, deeply, Islam makes a very specific effort to reject the Christian God. So in Christianity, we believe that God is a father, that God is a son, that God is the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one being. Islam makes a very uh, intentional effort to deny that God is a father, uh, that God is a son. Chapter 112 of the Quran is pretty much all about that. God is not a father, God is not a son. And Muhammad says that that chapter of the Quran is worth one-third of the weight of Quranic theology. That's how much emphasis he puts on denying the fatherhood and sonship of Jesus. In addition, the Quran denies the Trinity. In fact, it says if you believe that, the, that God is three, then you will go to hell. Uh, and so, and again, when it comes to the deity of Christ, uh, the Quran says if you believe Jesus is God, you will go to hell. So that's chapter 5, verses 72 and 73 of the Quran. So it's the fact that the Quran so intentionally denies the Christian God that leads me to say that Muslims and Christians worship a different God. Uh, and, and one last thing, it's not just that Islam incidentally denies it. Uh, the core Islamic doctrine, the one around which Islamic theology is all set up, is called Tawheed. 
and Tawhid is the belief that God is one being and one person, monadic. Okay. It's set up in contradistinction specifically to the Trinity. Well, we're going to have to take a break. When we come back, we're going to talk more with Dr. Nabil Qureshi about answering jihad, and we're going to talk more about jihad and perhaps what we can do as a country and individuals and American citizens. You're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Tune in after the break. Welcome back to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett, partner of the law firm Mauk and Baker. You can call us 312-726-1243. And I'm here with a fellow attorney and friend, Michelle Zier. And we're talking with Dr. Nabil Qureshi about his newest book, Answering Jihad, A Better Way Forward. And I say newest because you should go out and get his former book, Seeking Allah, Finding Jesus. Uh, both books highly recommend. Uh, Michelle and I had the privilege of receiving advanced copies of Answering Jihad. It's out in March, and uh, so y- you should be able to get a copy now. Dr. Kreshi, where would uh, people be able to go pick up your books? Yeah, you can go to answeringjihad.com, or you could go to nabilkureshi.com, either way. Um, Amazon has it, Barnes & Noble Christian Book, uh, so you can find it pretty much anywhere. And you, they can follow you on Twitter. Twitter, uh, N.A. Qureshi, or Facebook, um, yeah, uh, I'd love to see you online. All right, well, this is excellent. We've got a lot to cover in about 12 minutes. We want to talk to you first. Uh, we've covered a, a bit about the situation at Wheaton uh, and your response to whether Christians, Jews, and Muslims all worship the same God. I want to kind of transition now to what's on the mind of many people in this political season. Uh, we have a situation where jihad and radical Islamic terrorism or a lot of different other buzzwords are thrown out in order to uh, further or take a position with respect to what our country should do and what Americans should do with respect to this. But in some sense, I'm always wondering, well, what are the definitions of these terms and how do you view them as a uh, former Muslim uh, and American citizen? And so maybe let's talk about, start with the definition of jihad. What are we talking about here? Yeah, there's so much to say, but in brief, the way that jihad ultimately concretized, and I'm talking, uh, you know, in, in Muhammad's day, in the Quran, you did have a concept of jihad that was violent. Um, but the way it ultimately concretized, uh, we can say that the term means uh, a violent struggle for the superiority of Islam. Uh, and that was uh, something that we've seen throughout Islamic history, from the life of Muhammad until today, even. So that's what the term really means in a nutshell, but there's so much more to say. Okay. Well, and one of the other things, you know, this uh, submission, uh, the subjugation of everyone else to Islam, how is the Islamic idea of submitting to the will of God different from the Christian idea of submitting to the will of God? In, in Christianity, you submit to the will of God out of response to His love. He first loved us, it tells us in First John, uh, and so we respond to God with love. Uh, Paul says that, uh, particularly in the, in the book of Romans, uh, whereas in Islam, uh, that's not the way it works. God loves those who, who love him, uh, who serve him, who will do what he says, and then perhaps God will love you uh, in return. And so you try to earn God's favor in Islam, and that's why you see so many people, so many fervent uh, young Muslims becoming radicalized. That's one of the reasons, anyway. It's because they're trying to honor their God and glorify Him. Um, And so that leads them ultimately to do all kinds of things, whereas within the Christian faith, we've received by grace. Mm. Nabil, um, you've been kind of brought into a lot of the discourse uh, from what's going on in our political climate right now. And um, you um, have responded to some 
statements. And so can you tell us a little bit when it comes to Islam and Muslims, what do political candidates and political discourse in general, what is going wrong in this whole discussion? The atmosphere in the United States is so polar right now Mm -hmm. that people aren't able to distinguish between Muslims and Islam, such that on the left, uh, you see people who will be very compassionate towards Muslims and say that Islam is a religion of peace and those who uh, committed these atrocities are in no way Islamic. Um, Obama said that about ISIL, uh, saying that they're not Islamic. Uh, well, th- I appreciate the compassion. I appreciate the fact that you want to um, keep Muslims safe in this country, and so you're saying that uh, what the terrorists do is, is not Islam. Uh, so, as far as the compassion is concerned, that's great, but that's not true. Um, that we need to be a little bit more careful and more nuanced about what Islam is. On the right, uh, we have people who will say that Islam is a violent religion, and therefore we should treat all Muslims as latent threats. And, and th- though that's true about Islam, I'm not sure that we're teasing out the notion of Muslims from the concept of Islam. And Islam is a religion. Muslims are people. And so... I think that's the one thing that people on both sides of the spectrum are getting wrong. We need to embrace both the compassion towards Muslims and the truth about Islam. And that's exactly what the subtitle of my book is. My book's called Answering Jihad. The subtitle is A Better Way Forward. And that better way is holding compassion in tension with truth. Yeah, you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. I'm Noel Sterrett of the law firm Malk and Baker. Um, Michelle Gzir and I are speaking with Dr. Nabil Qureshi about his new book, Answering Jihad, A Better Way Forward. Uh, Nabil, I think this is one of the things that is very striking to me because, you know, having had Muslim clients, uh, I know that in some respects they view their treatment from Americans as kind of reflective of the Christian faith. You know, whether I, you know, because they, they have this idea, well, this is, if I'm being treated as a latent violent threat, this must be how Christians and Americans view me. And maybe if you want to talk about how um, your response, when you were living as an American student at the time of 9-11, um, just walk us through what, it, what, it, what you felt, what you sensed, what you received in terms of comments perhaps from other people, and how were, you were viewed, and then how you dealt with that uh, you know, as you matured. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right, especially for Muslim immigrants to America. They'll often see the West as a Christian nation, and then they'll impute uh, all of the uh, immorality, all the reactions of Westerners to Islam. They'll impute that all to Christianity, even though it might be a secular Westerner. They often haven't made that distinction. When 9-11 happened, um, of course, I, as an American Muslim, the son of a naval officer, my father had served 24 years in the Navy, just retired the year prior, um, the U.S. Navy. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very much an American, and then when 9-11 happens, I'm shaken just like all the other Americans are. But at the same time, I'm being made to defend my own faith, which I thought was a religion of peace. And at the same time, I'm now internally struggling with the fact that I'm seeing people on TV kill people in the name of my God. So I'm having this trifold crisis um, during 9-11. And in the midst of that, when people were asking questions about Islam uh, and wondering whether Muslims were peaceful or violent, uh, that all reflected on how I perceived Americans to treat me. And so it made me feel like a foreigner in my own home. Mm. And I, I don't doubt that that's how Muslims in America are feeling even even now, especially after San Bernardino, which is part of the reason why I wrote the book. Mm. Right. So how would you suggest to the, to the listeners out there 
that they should respond uh, and not only to their Muslim neighbors, but to these issues uh, and, you know, give us some suggestions as to how, how best to help us as, as followers of Jesus, as, as Americans going forward. Yeah, thinking in terms of uh, being an American, I think we ought to remember um, that uh, people are not always uh, fully adherent to the religious system they come from. Uh, there's tons of different interpretations of religious texts. There's layers of traditions. Uh, and so we shouldn't just take a look at a Muslim and say, well, the Quran teaches to be violent. Chapter 9, verse 29 to 33 says that you're supposed to subjugate people. Therefore, you, Muslim, must be wanting to subjugate me. Uh, no, that's a, that's a false leap. Uh, so we as Americans should remember that when we're making our policy, when we're thinking about these kinds of questions, at least remember that. But we as Christians can go much further, because Christ has called us to love even our enemies. For, Romans 5.8 tells us, when we were yet his enemies, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so we're supposed to be willing to lay down our lives even for those who might want to kill us. Mm. Now, am I saying we should respond naively uh, and just let refugees and terrorists into the nation? No. But what I am saying is that we shouldn't respond out of fear. It's the most unchristian response. Uh, we've not been given a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. Second Timothy 1.7. And so that is, as Christians, how we should react. And we should think of this refugee crisis. God is able to turn crises into opportunities. I mean, he took the worst event in all of history, the death of his son on the cross, and made it into the best event in all of history, the salvation for mankind. And so he's taking this crisis of refugees coming to the West and turning it into single-handedly the greatest mass exodus of Muslims out of Islam and into Christianity. And we should be offering people the gospel in this time as a better alternative to radicalization. Wow, that's uh, there's so much we, we, we need to get into, but in some sense, I want to leave the listener with this. Tell them where they can get your books, because all of this is in your books, and I want them to read the books twice. And, you know, the nice thing is you can even get it in audio. I, I, I love hearing your voice because I listen to your book on audio, so it's kind of like you're reading me your book. But uh, go ahead and tell them. Yeah, answeringjihad.com will link you to all my books and multiple different booksellers. Uh, but if you went to Christian Book or Barnes & Noble or Amazon, you'd be able to find it there. And also you can follow me through uh, nabilkureshi.com. And you're listening to Lawyers for Jesus Radio. This is uh, Noel Sterrett, attorney at Malkin Baker. Call us, 312-726-1243. We have copies of his book as well. We can get them to you. Uh, they're, uh, we often hand them out from our firm. Uh, before we leave, I just feel like you are in such a critical place. God has given you an amazing platform, an amazing testimony, and uh, you're just at the crux of so much of what is going on between, you know, Islam, America, Muslims, Christians. And so I would just like to take a brief moment and pray for you before you go, and uh, then we'll close. So that's all I want to do. So I just lift Dr. Qureshi, up to you, Heavenly Father, and I ask for your protection, your further anointing, just that you would continue to hone him in his calling, both on the sharpness of his commitment to truth, but also in his heart, so that he would have a softness that comes with his advocacy and his apologetics. I just thank you for this man. I thank you for his family. I pray that you continue to work in their hearts, and I pray that his testimony would continue to lead so many people to the kingdom, the kingdom of your son, Jesus, the Messiah. We thank you for that in Jesus' name. So we're listening to uh, 
Lawyers for Jesus Radio. Tune in next Saturday at 3 o'clock. You can reach us. Attorneys at Malcolm Baker, 312-726-1243. Or reach us online at malkbaker.com. Gonna have to serve somebody. Yes, indeed. You're gonna have to serve somebody.